Hey everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And And this this is is Unforgotten. Where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law, and any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised, as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. Hey guys, and welcome back. What you doing, Stormy? Hey, I have been busy painting. Like, I have paint everywhere. (laughs) My hair. I've been doing this for like several days off and on. I need to paint some stuff too, but (laughs) um, the last time I tried to paint, I actually noticed that somehow I had paint not even the color of my kitchen. It's what I'd originally painted in my laundry room. Yeah, which is connected to my kitchen, but it was on my kitchen ceiling, like night, like weird. Have no idea. It wasn't even close to the laundry room. Like it's in the most random spot. I have no idea how I got there. I'm like (laughs) not a professional painter. I like doing it, but um, then your back starts hurting because you know. (laughs) We we did our laundry room like right when we first got here because we were getting new washer and dryer, so we like just painted like a standard you know, kind of an off-white, antique white, whatever that Aww, most people use. But, come on. But, well, I have some other ideas that I'm going to do. We have to we have to bring down, pull down a countertop that's in there. But I'm going to do some fun decoration in there when we're all done with the house. But I can't say it's anything. It's a really like, small laundry room, so it's not like it's... Basically, every room in our house, except for, like, the kids' room is gray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just different shades of gray. So the the main reason why we started painting, we could have lived with, you know, neutral colors or whatever, but <laughs> in our oh, living room. Oh, but isn't room, there the one room that had the mural? Is that, is that oh, the yes. house or was we that a different one? We had some really interesting, and I think, you know, there was, I'm sure the family loved it, whoever yeah. did it first. But it pretty. Yeah, so my husband's office has deer murals. On three of the four walls. Very detailed, um, too. Like, yeah, one of everything. them actually looks like it's staring at you when you're sitting in the room. Oh, so it's that's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, They're really but, pretty. Like, whoever did it is very talented. They did a good job. Yeah. yeah. They did a really good job. Just not for um, everybody. But just not quite our thing. Yeah. Um, So that's coming. We don't know exactly what we're doing with that room yet. But the really bad one... <laughs> Just bad in our taste. It looked good when they had their furniture in here and it just all, everything matched. It was all color coordinated. It looks good, you know, but you get all their stuff out of there and just not our colors. The, it had, it has like probably four different colors of brown in our house and in like, it's like one long 
living room kitchen, you know, open mm-hmm. setup is probably, I mean, it, all those colors, all those browns are in one room, but it also has like a Pepto-Bismol pink <laughs> on like an oh, upper no. part of the wall and a bookshelf thing. And then like a fuchsia red color on the main, like the accent wall. And oh, yeah, it just was like, I mean, I could almost live with the dark color, but the Pepto-Bismol had to go. And yeah, so, <laughs> only blame you there. Yeah. So yeah, so we've been getting that taken care of. My mom like gets these crazy, like she'll get these wild hairs to like paint. Uh-huh. But she like can't decide exactly. She'll uh-huh. have, you know, the samples, the little paper. Yeah. You know, yeah. The little cardboard. It is so and hard. They'll have them like, she'll have them like all up on the wall. But you know, the actual paint like never actually looks it like never on the card. looks the same. So no. she'll just go get a couple of different ones and then she'll have like a stripe. Like a wall mm-hmm. that's got like all these different stripes where she's like, yeah. oh, I'm just letting it dry to see what I like the best. Yeah, yeah. Is everything yeah, like coming together month. though? It, it kind or of would yeah. be if like you didn't have this hang up. It's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, so I'm kind of um, anxious to do my, do my recording office because yeah. it's actually our, partly our colors that we have that kind of bluish, oh, the yay. light color of our blue color. So we're yeah. going to do something to kind of keep it along our motif. So we'll see what we can end up with. I'll have to post pictures later. (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. So, you know, we did at the beginning of the mini-sode last week, kind of like some updates that had come out in cases. Yeah. And just yesterday, actually. So today is the 14th. And so yesterday on October 13th, Huge news came out. Yes, big. In the Eric Cates case, the Eric Cates and Gypsy case. So, I'm so happy about this. Oh, I am too, because Eric's mother, Toby's just wonderful like that. Mm-hmm. She is inspirational, like, anyway, because she's so strong and just mm-hmm. unwavering. And she's become a really good advocate, too, for other families that are going through that, similar yeah. things. Mm-hmm. So, yep. If you're not familiar with the case of Eric and Gypsy, you need to go check out Secrets True Crime Podcast because they have a whole season on it. Um, But Eric Cates and his dog Gypsy were actually found deceased in the Empire community, um, which is in Walker County. And his truck actually had been set on fire from what I understand anyway. Um, I think there were a couple of theories floating around, but... When you listen to the podcast, it sounds like the most likely theory is that somebody intentionally burned this truck. Um, And it's been a long road to try to get answers Mm -hmm. um, for Eric and Gypsy because both Eric and Gypsy were in the truck. And finally, this happened in 2015. Yesterday, the attorney general announced indictments for two people in their murder. They arrested Joshua Franklin Hill, 33, of Walker County, and Serena Cheyenne Stiles, 28, of Walker County. Right. And what was interesting about it is it Mm -hmm. said due to the possibility of additional suspects, no other information about the investigation or the defendant's alleged crime was going to be released at the time. I know. That that was what got me. I was like, ooh. Okay, so, you know, knowing what we know without going into the whole story— you know, <laughs> yeah, this could be really big. And, you know, I think um, 
it is really big, but it could be even it bigger. Is, it is really big. It's huge. Like this is just, I think, the beginning of the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, not long ago. I can't remember if it was, I'd have to go back and look because I can't remember if it happened last year, if it was actually earlier this year, that they announced that the attorney general was taking Eric's case. Yeah, um, yeah. It had been in Walker County and then the attorney general's office took it. And I yeah. can't remember exactly when it was that they took it. But for some reason, I feel like it was earlier this year that that actually was like the official announcement. But it, I might be wrong because I feel like my days are, you know, time just know. seems to be like running together. Um, together, yeah. But they've worked really hard on this. Yeah, I think his case was probably the impetus of, you know, us thinking, well, you know, there's a couple other cases that we have that we really should try going to the attorney general. Yeah. And there are a whole lot of unanswered questions still, I think, yeah. in Eric and Gypsy's case. Um, like I said, you definitely, if you haven't listened to the secret season on that, you need to. It's very good. You hear a lot from Toby um, and Eric's family. It's kind of eye-opening about the way things happen sometimes behind the scene that you aren't necessarily aware of. Right. Right. I can't even imagine what Toby's going through, though. Oh, my gosh. I, mean, I know. You know, I'm sure, you know, very relieved that there's some progress and that they have somebody. But gosh, the emotions after all yeah. of this. Yeah. It's been a, a long time in the making and it shouldn't have taken this long. Mm-mm. And hopefully it is actually the beginning, you know, of really getting justice for Eric and Gypsy, but also for the other unsolved cases that are in Walker County. Right. You know, um, because open some doors and some, some eyes. Yeah. Because when you listen to, um, the podcast, to the secrets podcast, you learn like there are other cases that could potentially be linked in together, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely be following, for sure. And it sounds like they're going to do, you know, updates and that sort of thing. They're going to follow this really carefully. Yeah. So we were going to move into Madison County this week. Right. But I think there were a few scheduling conflicts, right, Stormy? Yeah, we actually are going to be talking to some family about one of the cases, Um we were trying to get somebody to talk to you about our second case, but that may not happen. But yeah, we wanted to make sure we have the most accurate telling of the case. So we felt we really should delay bringing that episode out um, so that you guys have full information and they can have their, their say in what we share. Yeah. We like to check when we can with mm-hmm. family members and because we've yeah. talked about that sometimes the news articles aren't always accurate. It's maybe exactly. just what's known at the time, but since that time, other things have come out. So Yeah, there, there's actually quite a few articles on the case. Jennifer Powers is who one of the cases is. Um, and she, yeah, there's a lot of articles, but hardly any um, substantial information, I guess. You know, there's kind of the just, same information. It, yeah. And so, you know, having, being able to talk to some family now will help quite a bit. So, yeah. Oh, as a side note, I actually got to have dinner with Dr. Holly and Miss Gill. That was so earlier awesome. in the week. Yeah. Um, 
I was kind of updating them kind of on the stats on where Mont's case was as far as plays. And they were just blown away at the number of people that have actually listened to it and have shared his case. And they just wanted to say they sincerely appreciate everybody who has shared Mont's case and story and continue to share it and continue to listen. And really just wanted to encourage anybody who had information to please just bring it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you send that in to SBI or you send it over to us to send to them, just, you know, make sure you get it in. Right. But they, again, just wanted to say thank you to everybody, which is also, I think, goes without saying for most of the families that we highlight stories for. We could not do this without you guys listening and sharing. So Exactly. Yep. We sincerely appreciate that as well. And honestly, I've been so overwhelmingly surprised and just, you know, thankful for all that you guys have done so far. Um, yes. it's, it's, it was so unexpected how quickly it all evolved, but it is just wonderful to see the growing support. And I think we're going to have a, a little like celebration here soon on the number of followers and things we have. So I know we did get, um, I try not to like actually read reviews on things yeah. sometimes because yeah, I know. like sometimes people are, they're mean and like you yeah. can get really discouraged with it. There's like, we have one review and it made a comment about like, we sounded like a bad Saturday night live skit. I but, know. You know. I'm not even sure that's terrible because even the bad Saturday night live skits get talked about. I know. <laughs> so it's like, there's no such thing as bad press or whatever. So it's like, yeah, okay, but thanks. I'm not going to complain about being compared to yeah. them. I mean, they've been running for a very long time and they're very popular. Yeah. So if we can get that kind of success, definitely <laughs> not complaining. Um, yeah. But if you are listening and you enjoy listening, you know, please drop by whatever podcast platform you're listening to and leave us a rating. Yeah. And I guess if you want to, you can leave a review and we'll read it. Yeah. But really that helps us a lot. <laughs> it does. It does help us a lot to know, yeah. you know. We're not just looking for the rating. We actually, it actually helps us in a lot of other ways as far as growing the podcast and being able to do more with it. So, and knowing where improvements can be made. True. Um, Yep, exactly. So, if we're doing something wrong, we kind of would like to know it. It'd be nicer to know it offline than online. But yeah, (laughs) maybe send those critiques to us in an email. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, So, since we are putting off the episode um, for Madison County for just a little bit longer. We didn't want to just skip this week. And it's been a while since we've done one of those Unforgotten Talks. You know, we only did mm-hmm. the one, and it, but it's been a while. So we were like, well, why don't we do that this week and get with one of our favorite people, Olivia McCarter. Yeah, she's awesome. Yes. If you haven't heard of Olivia, she is an investigative genetic genealogist who is like, rocking the DNA match world. Yeah. Um, she's from Mobile, very young, 22 and running 22 her years old. Yeah. business, you know, like she has opened Moxie Forensics with a couple of other phenomenal ladies and men. She is working as a genealogy analyst for the Mobile County Sheriff's Office and told us that her official title was CSI, which, come on, who doesn't love CSI? I know. Like, and then also, does she have her own show? <laughs> I know she needs. She needs one. one. Yes, and also 
working as a genetic genealogist and lab coordinator for Moxie. So it's really interesting when we talked to her because I had no idea that this is kind of how she started like finding things. She actually goes on Find a Grave and looks yeah. for John and Jane Doe's in Alabama in the yeah. different counties. So I was like, that's an interesting way to start your research, actually. I know, I know. Well, and you'll get to hear our whole conversation. Well, most of our conversation. <laughs> you'll be able to hear us talk about all of that and more coming up. Yes. Uh, she is really phenomenal and impressive. And, you know, I wish I had been as on point focused at 22 is what she is. At I'm 19, telling you. you know, <laughs> so... Um, I had no idea what I was doing at that age. <laughs> half the time, I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I know. So, still trying to get it together. <laughs> anyway, this week, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Olivia, and we will be back next week with our case discussion on Jennifer Powers and Dina Hubbard. This week, we're joined by Olivia McCarter with Moxie Forensic Investigations. How are you doing, Olivia? Hey, Olivia. Hey. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. This is like kind of a little break from what we normally do. So we, we are excited. I'm excited <laughs> too. Thank you for having me. Olivia is like a DNA genius over there making matches everywhere. I'd yeah. like to think so, but you know. I tell everybody you are anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So you're going to tell us a little bit about um, what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm an investigative genetic genealogist. I co-own Moxie Forensic Investigations, and I'm a genealogy analyst for the Mobile County Sheriff's Office here in Alabama. Um, what I do, oh, oh very busy. I was going to say, you don't have anything uh, on your plate at all. <laughs> <laughs> What I do is um, use DNA from unidentified remains or from a crime scene to identify uh, the DNA contributor with um, the DNA databases we're allowed to use, GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. Um, mm -hmm. I build the contributor's family tree and figure out exactly where they fit in using their DNA matches that we're provided with. And then I, then I provide either the agency or the coroner's office with a tentative identification that can be confirmed with a CODIS hit. That's so exciting. What if they're not in CODIS? Yeah. If the DOE or perpetrator is not in CODIS, uh, we had to deal with that for one of my cases recently, the 1976 Mobile County Jane Doe. Um, she was cremated, so we had no sample in CODIS. I did a um, family tree DNA kit on her next to kin and just compared it directly to my genealogy sample. Oh. Wow. So is this kind of like, um, and this is such a like, probably elementary comparison, but like on CSI, when they're doing all their stuff and they're like, oh, we got a hit on the stuff at the scene and it's so-and-so. Is that kind of like it what is, this is? It is, but the TV shows have DNA hits within like 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes over a year or two <laughs> for CODIS hits to yeah. 
because there's such a backlog right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we talk about that all the time. Every time we have to say that, we're like, <laughs> when is there not a backlog? Uh, yeah. This is like just trigger warning. This might be a soapbox kind of episode. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so ridiculous because they lo- everybody lost funding. Yeah. yeah. Um, University of North Texas, LSU, NamUs, the FBI, they all kind of lost funding. So, um, there's just a huge backlog. So a lot of those places don't yeah. even do CODIS reference samples for missing persons anymore. Like I, I had to, NamUs recently started doing it again. So I am having to do my swabs now before the backlog gets too big. Like to try to get caught, like beat it basically. Yeah, I, uh, I, at the sheriff's office, I've been working on a project for uh, missing persons, all of, all of our missing persons. Um, since the 80s, I've been getting reference samples from family members for mm-hmm. CODIS. So just in case any remains are ever found or have been found outside of our jurisdiction, it can just be matched really easily. Mm-hmm. So basically, you're taking like the samples from the families and having those yes. put into CODIS versus, yeah, gotcha, right. gotcha. Right. I have to tell you, like, you're like one of my heroes because <laughs> this is something that before I started doing all this with sellers, that's actually like I was trying to go into that kind of a field and I eventually will go back into that field. So I'm I'm really excited to hear about what you I love do it. because this is, yeah, it's like, it's such a big puzzle that it's just like really cool to it me. It is and cold <laughs> cases are, I, I always say cold cases are way worse than like new homicides because... Everybody is either dead and there's been so much time that's passed that their memories just kind of fade. So mm-hmm. having to track down everybody is awful. So for my reference sample project, yeah. I, my oldest missing persons case is 1982. So I have to track down the guy's family and I don't have any records that aren't 40 years old. And so I'm having to track down people who we haven't really spoken to in 40 years. And sometimes they're like probably not as like willing to, you know, work with you. Not necessarily because they don't want to know what happens, but a lot of times you're having to go to extended family members. Exactly. Because in cases that are old like that, and they're like, we don't really know what's going on. Please stop calling. We don't want any, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I had to recently call the nephew of a guy that went missing like 30 years ago. And I was like, this is who I am. This I'm, I'm doing this for your missing relative. And he was like, I don't have a missing relative. And I was like, is this your mom? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, you should probably talk to her because she has a missing brother. <laughs> yeah. You got your DNA, man. Sorry. Like, please. That's like asking somebody for their social security number. What what do you think? Yeah, they think I'm like trying to scam them and stuff. And I'm yeah. like, no, I work for the sheriff's <laughs> office, dude. I, I I can't I can't pretend to be you. Like, I can't DNA. clone you or anything, man. I'm just trying to find a body. What do you think is like the most difficult situation you've been in having to talk to a family about getting DNA? Oh my god. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've had some really odd situations, but difficult. I mean, it's, sometimes it's got to be really hard. I have oh, this case like- at the sheriff's office, and um, I, it, it's from 82. It's the one I was just talking about, and I tracked down his la- – I had to call around to figure out if his mom was still alive, and she wasn't. Um, so I had to track down his sister, 
and I called the sister and um, she was like, yeah, I'm adopted. Like, I'm not biologically related to him. I'm the last, you know, family member and he has oh. no kids. And, I, and she was like, he's also adopted. And I was like, oh, no. So I was like, where do you have his birth certificate? And she was like, I don't. I don't. And she doesn't have any, like, hairbrushes or anything because why would she have that? And uh, exactly. And I, I, um, I was like, where was he adopted from? And she, of course, says Florida. And Florida is the worst to get birth certificates from. So, and opening adoptee records. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm still trying. It's been over a year. I'm still trying to open his birth certificate so I can find out if maybe he has like a half sibling somewhere and I could just <laughs> be like, hey, yeah, you had a brother. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> like, surprise. Uh, Remember that brother your mom told you you had that was adopted out? Need your DNA. Yeah, and he, yeah. he, he actually yeah, was a brother. Like, they didn't yeah. just tell you that. And then you end up with People like um, the one we were looking at recently where you think she's missing, but it turns out she's actually um, deceased in another state. That has only happened to me that one time, thankfully. That was weird. I Because even the brother of that missing person was thought she was missing, but apparently she just didn't want anything to do with her family. Then you come across something like this and you... Are like, well, crap, there's that support for why they don't necessarily take adult missing person reports as serious because their people have the right to like just up and leave because obviously they do. Yeah, I mean, like she she had every right to just move away and and just, yeah, did, and just died somewhere else for from unknown reasons and uh, just never yeah, and her family just never knew, I guess. I, I mean, it was a different yeah. world back then, I guess, with um, mm-hmm. lack of cell phones. And, and mm-hmm. so, I mean, yep, that's true. You know, we always talk about how difficult it makes it for those who we know didn't just get up and leave and their family because yeah. there are cases like this one that you're talking about that actually did do that. But I think it's, you know, I think that's a, it could be a remnant of pastime you know like from that era because i don't think that happens as much if you unless there's like a digital footprint or something like that going on where you know that there's still activity somewhere like after they've left um but i think you know back then i think it happened more often than we think yeah i think so too i i hope that none of my missing persons cases are anything like that because you know We've, we put so much manpower into them that mm-hmm. I hope it, you know, doesn't end up like something like that. Yeah. So how did you end up in this field? Oh, God. That's that's such a difficult question because it it's just kind of still mind-blowing to me. Because I was fresh out of high school. I was 18 and really just interested in... Um, true crime, really, like serial killer cases and stuff. Yeah. And I was really interested in the Green River Killer and John Wayne Gacy. Um, and they have unidentified victims. And I was super interested in those. And um, Green River is out by me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. He, he recently had a victim that was identified. And yeah. once yeah. that, um, I, I started researching those unidentified victims and and as I was doing that, one of them got identified. 
with investigative genetic genealogy. And yeah. I got super into that because if they could identify one, they could identify all. Right. So I started researching it and just really became just infatuated with with this kind of work and these people who are doing this work. And I um, just kind of I just kind of integrated myself in their community. Yeah, yeah. Like I just kind of slipped in and uh, started working on cases alongside some folks and sort of made a name for myself locally and then got a job with the sheriff's office and then started my own company. And it's, it's kind of crazy still. Cause I'm, I'm only 22. I was in college when I was doing all this stuff, but, um, that I was going to say, I think like you're pretty young and mm-hmm. it's impressive, really super impressive because you don't meet very many young adults who kind of already have this like solid foundation of what they want to do and where they want to go when they grow up, Yeah, you know, and here you are just like kicking ass, starting your own company. And it's just phenomenal to me. I didn't really know if I wanted to do this for the rest of my life until I solved the first doe case that I I was ever on. Um, That was probably when I was 19 or so. Uh, that was a case from Missouri and just hearing his family talk about him and seeing the impact that it had on their lives and the lives of um, the detectives who have worked on it for, for a very long time. It was just kind of one of those moments where you realize like, this is it. This is, this is what I love. This is what I'm going to do. So I just kind of, never looked back and have made a lot of identifications since then um and have made has made i've I've made a lot of headway in the state of alabama because that's kind of become like a major thing for me i wanted to work on cases in in our state and um kick ass here Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How many, how many have you identified? Do you keep track? In Alabama yeah. or overall? Uh, both. Both. Let's do both. Okay, that's a big... Overall, perpetrators and does, probably 25 to 30. Um, in Alabama, probably eight or so. And that's like, happened in not a long period of time. No, no, that's been a very no, short... No, you're only 22, so I know that... <laughs> I know it hasn't been that long. Yeah. Like you started when you were 19. Yeah. And here you are at 22. And these are the numbers that you've already reached. And I think it kind of that goes or lends support to like these cases don't have to stay unsolved. No, not at all. For as long as what they do. With the right amount of work and effort and time, like it can, they can be solved. It really just takes somebody to have a lot of patience and time to give to this, but like one particular case. Um, 
And I know that's part of the problem is there's just like not enough people to, you know, not enough manpower to dedicate that much time to like one case. So it has to get like spread out. But the problem that I see with that is like when you have places like we've talked before and you've said, oh, you know, if it's a homicide case, there's things out there, there's funding for those type of things. I can help them with it. Um, when they're not taking advantage of the resources that are out there to help kind of spread the workload. Yeah. And I'm willing to take the workload on for these detectives. I mean, if they let me do all the groundwork and get them a tentative identification, I just hand them a name and say, go. Yeah. 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 And their um, their their investigation can resume as it normally would if if they knew it from the start. In Alabama, I've probably yeah um, I've, I've made a lot of headway. I think my first identification, which is still not announced because um, it comes with an arrest, was in March of twenty two in Alabama, um, and then really quick, but they haven't made the arrest yet that's why they, haven't they have it. not made the arrest yet it's going to be one of those really particular cases that they is need. it going to be big no i don't think so yeah. it's not like a well-known case at all it, it wasn't even a name this um yeah. it was just one that i found in cemetery records actually really yeah what i like to do is with these smaller counties i'll go on find a grave and mm-hmm. look for cemetery records, like for John and Jane Doe's in, in, in Alabama. Oh, wow. And I'll locate cases that are not in NamUs, had no media whatsoever. So I think I have a few cases right now that all I found were um, old newspaper articles and a headstone with a date. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, they were never put in NamUs. Usually the detectives don't even know they exist because they, they it's just never, it's, it's old cases mm-hmm. and they just kind of lost um, sight of what they were doing. And, and there's not any, there's not like a, this is probably my biggest complaint about Alabama is there's no set in stone policy and procedure for making sure that unidentified or missing person cases are entered into these databases. No. Yeah. So especially when you go back in time, it's even less, you know, inclusive of the total number that are outstanding. Exactly. But it doesn't necessarily get better even the more recent you get because not everybody is using these databases to their advantage. And we actually had a um got a message like it's been a couple of weeks ago about um, a teenager who had been classified as a runaway. And I always hate that because I'm like, okay, well, they're still a minor and um, it still needs to be taken serious because one of the automatic assumptions sometimes is kids run away. And that's not always true. And I always think that they probably should be treated as the worst case scenario because it's better to have all those eyes out than to not do that. And then it turned out to not be what you think it is. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, well, look, I'm looking and I don't see anything in NamUs. I don't see anything in Aaliyah. Have her confirm that's actually been filed. And they're like, oh, well, they said it's in NCIC. 
I'm like, oh, that's not public. Yeah, the public is the most imp- one of the most important factors with these cases. You have to get, you know, knowledge to the public of what's going on because that's when the tips roll in. I actually um, sent one of your identifications and actually Ada Fritz from Mobile to there's um, on Twitter X is what I've been calling it because I can't get used to calling it X. Um, there's a user called Catch Lisk that has been creating this like map across the USA of unidentified missing person cases that could potentially be linked to the Long Island serial killer. And so one of the People, they've been working on the Alabama map, and one of the people actually was Ada Fritz that was on there. Wow. But they had not updated it or seen that it had an identification had been made. And so I sent a message, and I was like, hey, actually, I've got something for you. I was like, they just identified this. And I'm like, holy crap. So I'm like, yeah, Olivia is awesome. Yeah. You know, so I try to I try to send people over your way. Hey, that 1976 case was nuts because, I mean, she was cremated in 1979. So... We pulled the DNA sample out of our asses pretty much. <laughs> it was like a, a tooth? It was, no, it, she had no teeth. It was a oh. dental mold in her mouth, and we found it um, in a box that was not her case. It was not in our oh. evidence log. It was just, it, it, we found it, and it had the case number on it. We opened it. It was a dental mold, and we were like, okay. And we knew it was her because she had no teeth and it was just um there was no teeth lines and i'm gonna be super honest right here right now with you guys the dental mold was covered in rat feces it um Ew. oh yeah it, wow. i mean it it had been in storage for so long and it had, it had been in storage units um i mean it was it was covered in paper towels that that were wrapped around it in 76 and so when i unwrapped it it was just yeah, and I was just like, there's no way that we can get a DNA sample from this. It's going to be contaminated with so much bacteria. And I'm sure those CSIs didn't wear gloves when they were touching this. It's going to have male DNA on it. And I talked to the lab that I used and they were like, we don't know. We, that's never been done on a ceramic dental mold. And this is going to be a very long shot. And then we don't expect to get results. But if you want to try it, we'll do it. And I sent it. And it, it got the most DNA that I have ever gotten off of an item, even blood. Seriously? I was just going to ask you. Yeah. How many profiles did you get off that? <laughs> no, I got one. It was uncontaminated. It was fully female DNA. It was a bit degraded. Really? It was a bit degraded wow. because it was so old. But it was so much DNA that it didn't even matter how degraded it was. I was going to get a profile. And okay, so from now on, we need to like, be, all right, if you get a, a more recent body, stick a ceramic DNA in there. Yeah, it yeah. was. I mean, a ceramic mold, because apparently that's going to cling to that and DNA. I had no idea. I had no idea. And I talked, the lab was so surprised. They, they were shocked and they called me and told me. And we were just kind of like, why did this work? And I was so, so excited because I thought there was no way in hell I could have identified this lady and it was just going to be lost to time but then I get this DNA sample and I'm like oh that's where the genealogy can come in that's where I get to play yeah that is awesome awesome. like who would have thought what a case I mean that's that is really awesome because you know one of the things we've talked about this recently actually that sometimes when you get um skulls 
that have been out there for a while, some of the teeth aren't actually teeth. They're like implants or they're crowns. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. can't really get DNA from You can't those. do anything with that. Um, and teeth. But I tell you what I'm going to start doing. I'm getting ceramic ones. Mm-hmm, let me mm-hmm. tell you. They can do that. <laughs> um, but, and when, when, the, when these skulls are in, you know, the elements for so long, teeth fall out. Yeah. Like, teeth fall out. Yeah. So you'll see skulls that are just missing a ton of teeth. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean they were missing a bunch of teeth to begin with. No. It's just that's what happens over time. They just fall right out. Degradation. Yeah. And that's so I remember, I think this was actually in whenever they were doing the big search for Brian Landry. Mm-hmm. They, when they found his remains in Florida, they were talking about the teeth. And they said the teeth are like, the titanium briefcase of DNA. Like, they're one of the best sources of DNA that you can get. Yes. Yes. Teeth are awesome. So, That's pretty like, cool. they just store it, and it, I guess, like, the degradation process is incredibly slow for that, maybe. But, like, yeah. they just, it stores it for, like, a really long time. Is it because they're harder? It's not as porous as, like, what your bones are, so it doesn't absorb, like, moisture and things yes. as well? Yes. And teeth aren't bones. So, I mean, they they degrade a little bit slower. Great. So, yeah. so, the, so this is a public service announcement. PSA here. If you have teeth removed for dentures, save one and put it on a necklace around your neck and keep it there all the time. <laughs> exactly, y'all. <laughs> Just make identify and make it a molar, please. Make identification <laughs> super easy if you ever go out. You know what? No, you don't even need your teeth. Just keep your driver's license on you, please. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Did you see the thing that came out of Walker County this week about yes. um, the roommate? They reported his yeah. his roommate missing, and then it turns out he's, like, buried in their yard. Dude, why is all this weird shit happening in Walker County? Oh, my it's God. Don't go in their woods. Don't get us started on that. Oh, my God. That's like, it's always them. It always. It's yeah. like, I call it, like, a black hole. Like, what kind of shit goes to, is in their water supply? It's in their woods. Oh yeah. God! It's just every. Like, if you read about most of their stories, we've <laughs> talked to um the guys over at Secrets True Crime about this. Like, why is it everybody that goes missing in Walker County always end with they were last seen walking into going the into the woods? No, that uh, <laughs> it's scary. It is. It's it's like a like a horror movie thing. Oh my God! I always wonder like how many people. Are there that are on the missing person data? Because, you know, like, if, so we have a spreadsheet. We had someone like way techier than us actually do a data scrape on um, the Leah thing and make us a spreadsheet of all the missing person entries into Aaliyah. So it updates anytime the Aaliyah database gets updated. And it's like differentiated into tabs where you've got adults, endangered adults, children, best freaking worksheet workbook in excel ever and um so that's how we keep up with like how many total entries there are in Aaliyah versus namus you know there's like 80s people more in namus than there are in Aaliyah. yeah like how do we lose 80 people yeah and that's not counting well like this obviously Aaliyah doesn't include um unidentified no so like this is just the missing persons so like this is just the missing persons listed in Alabama, and there is a difference of like I can't remember if it's seventy or eighty, but it's like a pretty significant number when you consider that that's 
people. It's like, it's not 70 pages of paper. It's 70 individual persons. It's a laziness. And that's like a big deal to me because I'm like, okay, well, what if you can like, how many of these people, if we're missing that many people in Aaliyah, and we've got this many extra people in NamUs, how many people are not in their period? Because we know there's at least a few. And how many of these are not being cross-referenced with the unidentifieds to see if there's these potential matches and how many of the unidentifieds aren't actually in there to see if they match? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's so frustrating. I get, oh gosh, it like literally sends my blood pressure like through the roof. Well, and the other thing about that is, is I mean, it's not even just that they're not in Aaliyah, but sometimes there's some that are in Aaliyah that haven't been closed out to. Because we've we've gone that yeah. route when we're like doing our mini things, yes, yeah. um, mini mini sets. I'll be like, oh, I think they were found. Like, or... Oh, well, here's one that we don't have, and it takes a while. But then you're just like, oh, he's not missing anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then you try to tell people, hey, they're not in there, and it's like, okay, <laughs> what do you want us to do about it? Oh, I don't know. Put them in there. <laughs> like upload it. It takes like two seconds. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Walker County still hadn't um, accepted Andrew Setliff. Yeah. yeah. And when their uh, remains came out about Navu recently, I was like, oh, what if that's Andy? Yeah. wasn't, I don't think. Um, but his daughter died recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really sad. My God, have you guys have been keeping up with the Aaron Tool stuff? Yes. yes. Oh, I'm all over that. I, I don't... God, that's so interesting to me. We talked to his granddaughters. Yeah, they're super nice. They are yeah. super sweet. What do you think about that? I think mm-hmm. the guy probably just was driving to Florida to visit the sick relative and then just lost control or something. Except for the sick relative didn't know he was coming. Wait, really? Yeah. Right? Right. In fact, I'm not even sure the relative that they were referring to was even sick. Because that's what, whenever I had messaged you about it and they were telling them, you know, it might take a while to get the DNA back. Mm-hmm. I was sending them the ideas that you were sending back about, hey, you can try this. I sent them the name is thing. Um, but I was like, what about teeth? You know, and they were like, he didn't have any teeth. Yeah. I also thought too, like, if you think about when you're, and maybe this is just in my head, I make up these scenarios and just assume <laughs> they're probably right. But like, if you're driving off the side of the road, like you drive off this thing, like typically you're you have that movement with your vehicle, so like you don't nosedive. Yeah. But if somebody pushed you off, then you're at a slower movement. So the chances of you going nose down first would be a little bit higher than if you had some velocity behind you. Mm. But I don't know that I'm not a physicist. So. <laughs> I think that's who studies that stuff anyway. But in my head, that's all, I'm like, I watch too much TV, though. <laughs> Probably. Well, yeah. Um, I would love to find one of my old missing persons cases. Like, I would absolutely love to just find them. Decades old. We had a yeah. message from Michael Boyette's family. Oh, like, they are so nice. Yeah. Um, his wife is super nice. They, they, I know they have... ACCA shirts, all of them. Yeah, it was his daughter, I think, that messaged the page. They did. They got shirts and um, 
his daughter messaged the page and I don't I think she was just like saying thank you for like putting his name out there yeah I uh I went to church with his mom when I growing up uh Michael's mom so when I was a kid I mean so I I never knew that I would you know work for the county that that he went missing from but I uh, was friends with his like I don't know if they were half nieces or nephews or full, but I was friends with them growing up. So when I figured out, I was looking through the old reports and I was like, oh, I know that name. Like, that's 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 that lady that I went to church with. So I guess yeah. he went missing um, from his from his mom's house um, mm-hmm. where she lived. So yep. that's right by Brightling Elementary. Like, those mm-hmm. are the those woods. So, um a pretty big Man. wooded area and um a lot to start. they took the dogs out there when he when he went missing but his mom had gone after him in the woods so they were picking up her scent um, oh i was wondering yeah. how that yeah huh so it's just an awful story yeah i hope they find him one day they took cadaver dogs out in 2010 or 2012 like they they did it like at, like a couple of years after he went missing um, hmm. major crimes Mobile County did that because his daughter asked about him and they, they wanted to help out but they, they were not able to pick up anything I mean it's been so long too and we have such yeah. heavy yeah. rain and stuff mm-hmm. yeah. and there's so many scents in that area because it's right by that school and uh, yeah. I mean yeah. right by a major road it's just I, I hope one day like somebody's just walking through those woods and they find something mm-hmm. And then that yeah. happens. It's crazy. I, I want, like, because I know his mom. My, I really just want to ask her if I can just go out there and get, like, a good go with grid you. of the area. Yeah, I was just going to say a grid search really is what they need to do and just tick, tick away at it grid by grid. And look for clothing or anything. And honestly, mm-hmm. if a body decomposes in the woods, our remains or anything decomposes um they release nitrogen heavy nitrogen mm-hmm. and humans are so big that's a lot of nitrogen and that affects the local ecosystem so you would see it you would see it and and that much nitrogen um should permanently affect the the ecosystem i mean other things could decompose like deer dogs yeah. stuff like that but it's different you know I would really be interested to take a drone like above that wooded area and do like a thermal search. See like yeah. big areas where the the nitrogen is just completely different and mark those areas and just kind of go. Um, do y'all have one? No. I mean, I don't know actually, but, but that method of search and rescue is currently being tested at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. And like... I, they're testing at the body farm right now because they have that big yeah. body farm. And I really mm-hmm. just want to just – when they've kind of figured out that it works with those thermal drones, I want to be like, please come down here. Okay. Before before we go any further here, it, I, this is my naivety. Body farm? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You've never heard of the body farm? Body farm. Uh-uh. Oh, no. my gosh. It's where they take all of these deceased bodies and they basically like – test them in these different environments to see how they like decompose and stuff right yeah yeah the ut knoxville oh my God. i was gonna get my um 
a master's degree there before I got, you know, into the genealogy stuff. So these bodies are donated to science. Mm -hmm. That is so crazy. So they can see how the body decomposes and at the Mm -hmm. different rates and the the bugs and stuff that get to them. So they can use it in forensic cases. And a lot of our CSIs in, um, in the area have been to the body farm because they do classes and stuff. So I know like one of our CSIs at Mobile County has been to a body farm because there's also one in San Marcos, Texas. Yeah. Um, he, he went. I know the one in, um, in Texas, they also, and I'm sure they do it in Tennessee too, but the one in Texas, they'll occasionally do um, search and rescue classes. Um, well, not necessarily search and rescue, but search dog training classes. Yeah. I just like that sounds that way, so interesting. Yeah. Where they have um, the bodies and the different, levels of decomposition in certain areas and they train the dogs on you know i guess like differentiating the scents and being able to pick up on the scents at the different levels because it changes mm. so and, yeah. but at the i think it's awesome it is, like that is a something great where way they, of learning like hands-on yes. and these people have donated their bodies for this specific purpose so those people yeah, they, you know are just awesome i think it's great for like finding out like would this even you know, be possible. You get these things like, okay, I always go back to this documentary just because it has always stuck in my head, but the staircase documentary where they're like an owl flew in. (laughs) And so I can't like ever get over that, this owl theory. And, um, but like you have somewhere that studies these exact things like causes of death and manners of death to see how it would affect the body, how the body would react and then how it changes the speed, you know, the rate and way bodies decompose over time and how long it would take. And it's really interesting. I wish they took like tours. Um, obviously they don't yeah. because, you know, they're, yeah. they're human remains. But one of these days I'm going to take one of those forensic classes at either UT Knoxville or the uh, UT San Marcos in Texas. And I'm yeah. going to do it. Like I, I want to do it so badly just to see the different scenarios they have. Cause I mean, they, they're able to do a lot of stuff with those bodies. Like, and they leave, yeah. And they leave them there for like years sometimes just to see like the changes because it takes a while. That's just perfect way of learning. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I like hands on stuff like that. So I got to go earlier this year over to Ocean Springs, Mississippi and watch the Jackson County canine mm-hmm. um, SAR team do training with their cadaver dogs. And it was really interesting because they actually have these like little plastic containers that they have human remains in. And um, like I didn't ask to look at them. Yeah. I don't know. But they like will hang them in a tree or or they'll like take something, cardboard or something and cover it up so it's like under something. And it was really interesting to watch how they reacted and I was actually talking to Beth, who does that, and and she was talking about, like, how helpful it was and that kind of stuff. If somebody wanted to send a case to you, okay, first of all, do you only work on cases that you get from law enforcement, like, by request, or can, like, how do you get your cases that you work on? That was my next question, actually, too. So, great. Yeah, so we... We have to work with a law enforcement agency or a medical examiner or coroner's office on their cases, um, and they can submit them to us And because uh, we have to get a DNA sample from them. Um, 
so yeah, we have to work with the agency, some sort of agency. Yeah. And then is that something where like you send it to state lab, you use independent labs? How do like how do you once you receive it, what do you do kind of from there? Usually the cases we work have already been placed into the CODIS database. So there's really no reason for it to go back to the state lab unless we mm-hmm. need like an additional extraction or something. Or if the mm-hmm. evidence is there, but I use third-party labs because genealogy testing—it's—it's um, it's still really new, and the type of sequencing that the DNA has to go through, the—the uh, the state labs don't have those machines just yet. So mm-hmm. I prefer using this nonprofit lab out of Salt Lake City, Utah, Intermountain Forensics, mm-hmm. um, and I send that sample, whatever it is—bone, blood semen i send it over to them and they make an extraction from it put it in the dna sequencer make it into an uploadable file for our dna databases and then they hand me the file and i get to work my genealogy so i upload it to the only databases we can use are either GEDmatch or family tree dna those are the only ones that allow law enforcement kits um so I upload it to those databases, one or both, um, usually only GEDmatch first. And uh, if the matches are bad, then I upload to Family Tree. Uh, and then I get a list of DNA matches, sort of like if you or me took a um, ancestry DNA test, we would get a list I of matches. That. Yeah, so you got a list of matches, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's yep. exactly what happens with my DNA kits. I get a list of matches and I get to build out the matches family trees to figure out exactly where my person would fit in based on how much DNA they share with them. And I do that so many times that I get to build a pretty good family tree for the DNA contributor that I have. And then it just kind of all falls into place. And um, I have, uh, it, it takes a lot of research and groundwork and family tree building it's a lot of tedious work but once it all kind of comes together it it just is perfect so um, then I hand a report a tentative identification of the DNA contributor to the agency and they can resume their normal investigation but sometimes um, I can't give them one name uh, because Think about it. If you have a sister or a brother, um, you have the same ancestry. Mm-hmm. So I can, if, if it's a perpetrator case with a semen sample and there's multiple boys in the family, I can give them, you know, the boys' names. Kind of the family yeah, name. So yeah. they can, and they can take a DNA sample from each brother and figure out who's the contributor of the DNA sample. Right. Right. And they can probably rule things out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's sometimes it's the best I can do. But if there's only like one boy in the family and it's a semen sample with a homicide case, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uncovered did a presentation one time with Dr. Um, Claire Glenn from mm-hmm. New Haven, um, mm-hmm. from Dr. Henry Lee's College of Forensic Sciences. And like that's kind of her thing is the genealogy. And so we actually could sign up to get a kit for doing the presentation. And so I did that and I sent it off and I uploaded all my stuff to GED match. Just I'm like, um, although one day if somebody calls me because I've matched to somebody, I'm going to don't know what I'm going to do. Probably lose my mind. But I was so disappointed when my results came back from my like ancestry. And it was all like basically from one place yep. over in Europe. Yep. And I was like, God, I was really wanting somewhere exotic. 
you know, like something really unsuspecting. Yeah. And there was, I was like, God, I'm so plain. Very basic. Yeah, mine was like super white. Uh, yeah, I was very white. Well, so this, this is the interesting thing about mine. So I'm adopted and I did that. And I kind of just did it because we we did that, you know, for the course. And I thought, yeah. well, eventually I'm going to, maybe I might try to look at something, but I'm you know not ready right now. And I, I don't think I can do it while my mom's alive because she's kind of like, why yeah. would you want to do that? Um, <laughs> so, um, but I've eventually, but I've already maybe been contacted by two people about the same family, um, two different people looking for somebody for help for somebody that they think I'm connected to their family. And I'm like, Dude, I'm sorry. I'm adopted. I, I don't know. I don't have any family history. Um, <laughs> yeah. But now I know who to contact if I decide to go. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, where did it say? Where did it say you were from? Okay, mine said I was mostly from like yeah, um, England and Ireland, I think. And yeah. then, um, but then all my people were like hunter gatherers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, well, that makes sense, I guess. So you know, this thing I you know I don't know what it is. I mean, I haven't looked at it. Oh, I seriously haven't looked at it. I didn't I, even look I, to really see the like the actual like relatives. I was just like yeah. I really wanted to know like okay where did my bloodline come from? Yeah. And then it pops up and I'm like God I'm a very I, proper English. It's kind of been eating at me. For the last, <laughs> yeah, it's been eating at me for about a month now, and I think I'm gonna gonna go in and look at it. not so, not the family stuff, but the you know the markers of the. Yeah. You're you're adopted, yeah. dude. When you're ready to figure it out, you you, you, betcha, co- you come Olivia. to me. You come to me. I'll do I it. Will. Yep. I'll tell you in yep. like a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was so the next thing too that I was going to ask you. You brought that up. Um, is that is that something that like you get asked about? Like for people who like know they're adopted, do they ask about can you help track people? Yeah, I get asked that a lot, and especially with working with law enforcement, like sometimes the detectives will come to me and be like, I, I'm adopted. Can you help? Like I have a DNA test. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll do it. And then, yeah. and then I call them like the next day and I'm like, here's your parents. Here you go. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like what happened with, um, I feel like a Jane Doe. What is oh, it? Amore. Amore. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, they had to, um, they didn't have her birth mom. Yeah. 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 So I've got a hypothetical situation for you, and you may not be able to give an answer, but if you have a DNA sample and you have enough DNA to know it's a mixed sample and, you know, one contributor is male and one contributor is female, is that enough of a sample to be able to profile that sample out? Or is it possible that it's just enough for you to know that it's a male and a female, but we couldn't tell you with any specificity who it belongs to. There's a lot of variables. So I get mixture samples in sexual assault kits um, because those swabs are vaginal swabs. So obviously it's going to have a lot of the victim's DNA in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always a mixture um, with male DNA and female DNA if there's a seminal fluid in the vagina. Um and the mixture has to be perfect, basically. The, the male sample has to be the major contributor, um, mm. and it has to be at a certain ratio. Um, it has to be so much more than the female that we can kind of rule out the female's markers in the testing. 
Let me narrow it down for you. It came mm-hmm. off a water bottle. You have a water bottle where multiple people have drank from this water bottle. How many people? This is, this is all hypothetical, obviously. I know. I would have no specific reference to this. Um, two, you got a male and a female. They came off this water bottle. If one of the samples is, I mean, you're always going to have a major and a minor contributor with mixture samples. Um, mm-hmm. If, if let's say the male sample is the major. If the male sample is so much more than the female, yes, I could get a sample from that, a profile. Um, but you probably wouldn't know if it's more, if the male is the major and the female is minor, it's possible that you wouldn't be able to identify the female. Yeah. Yeah. Or vice versa. But yeah, Exactly. Mixtures are awful. I was hoping. Mixtures are awful. And, I mean, DNA technology is still progressing in 2023. So, I mean, one one day, I I know people are working on the mixture samples because it's such a problem, especially with rape kits. Um, One day we'll be able to to do it. And that day could be soon. I know people are working on new technology every single day. That makes sense that if there is... If it's just a minor contribution, it's enough to tell that there's a difference, yeah. but not enough to tell who it is. Yeah. Okay. So how do um, how do you get funding for these cases? Like, do agencies have to? And I'm asking this because I'm trying to encourage agencies to consider this as an option. Um, do agencies have to come out of pocket for this? Is there funding available through other resources? How do you guys fund the work that you're doing? This is a, this is a good bit of resources. We get you know grants and stuff. Usually with adult unidentifieds, like the agency has to pay out of pocket because there's just no, there's just no funding for adults unless you fundraise and Moxie does crowdfund. Um, mm-hmm. With homicide cases with perpetrator samples that could uh, lead to a conviction, um, there are nonprofit organizations available where you could fill out an application and like season of justice. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, they could. Um, they could decide whether or not they want to fund it. And Season Justice has funded many cases for me and has been um, a great partner to Moxie. And we we love them so much. Um, they've helped us out a lot of, with a lot of cases. So, yeah. you know, I... Uh, I think Cold Case Initiative does that too. I think so. I think so. Um, so they're... Or other resources. There's resources. Third party resources. There's, like, out there's, there's to really, help with the funding. at this point, there's no excuse other than right. manpower yeah. because right. there's, there's just so many resources out there that can, we can help and we want and to it's help. not, if right. somebody just like did their own, like a family or, you know, family petitioned and if they do like their own fundraiser, you, can you, you can accept any funds from anybody as long as it's funded i don't think that's ever happened but as far as like i mean it'd be kind of like the same thing as crowdfunding right mm-hmm. i guess so essentially i guess so. yeah. like i i don't think that's ever happened they could always put it into whatever funding that you guys like your crowdfunding because we've had families that have said like we'll pay for the the testing or whatever that needs to go into this we've mm-hmm. always said that we would do that but it just hasn't been done and mm-hmm. So that's something that could be an option that if I guess they so. had the means, you know, if they raised the money or, you know, through fundraisers or whatever, it would almost be like crowdfunding. I just hate taking like the family's money. I know. Because the agency should, you know, but, but. The state should be working on it. Yeah. If, 
it's the last option available, then yeah, I think we would yeah. we would do it. I'd feel bad, but yes. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, yeah. yes. I yeah. I guess so. We always, you know, encourage families to take advantage of other resources. I don't want them to have to spend their own money because I just don't think it's fair. If you have one parting bit of advice for, you know, people out there with missing loved ones, what would you, is there anything you could impart? Yes. Don't let them slip through the cracks. He said, like, keep their name in your mouth. Um, Keep reminding the agency that you are still here and that the case still exists and just fight for them as much as you can. And submit your own DNA. Submit your own DNA. Yeah, you can um, upload it into GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. And in mm-hmm. case, you know, this this investigative genetic genealogy stuff is getting uh, very popular. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's happened where I've uh, worked on a case. I, I worked on a case a couple weeks ago and I got a niece that had been looking for her uncle. Mm-hmm. And it was... And and her DNA was right there. So I could just match it immediately. Yeah. That's just fantastic. And it's not hard to add it in. That's what Stormy and I did when we yeah. did the testing. We got our stuff back. It gave us the like, the pronoun, I guess, whatever the, yeah. the profile thing is the that pronoun. you get. And mm-hmm. you just go into GED match and just upload it. It's like not a big deal. It's not very hard to do. It's free. And then it's just there. It's free. Um, yeah, it's free. And it takes about five minutes. Yeah. Um, and if you need help, like finding a test or picking a test or whatever, um, shoot us a message and we'll get with Olivia and tell you who probably would be the best one to use. Absolutely. And Moxie um, has a how you can help uh, resource on our website where it gives you a step by step guide with photos on how to upload uh, to GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA from 23andMe and Ancestry. That actually is a genius. What's your website? MoxieForensics.com. And we'll have that on our description, too. Yep. And that way you can get all of that information there. All righty. Well. We really appreciate you being here. No problem. It's been a lot of fun. Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. 
Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain unforgotten.